the Imperfectly Perfect campaign, sharing real-life stories from real people to unite them in global change for the face of mental health and reduce the stigma, creating communication, healing, and awareness to save lives and inspire. Join us weekly as we talk to some of the highly acclaimed faces, influencers, experts, and those who have been through extreme adversity. All right, guys. So welcome to another episode, an exciting episode at that of the Imperfectly Perfect podcast. And today I've got my second international guest coming in to, to speak. So before we get going, as I normally do, I like to tell you a little bit about the person. So here we go. He writes and speaks to people about how to live happier life from the inside out. His work has been endorsed by Oprah and Vanessa Williams, among many others. In addition to serving as a celebrity love coach for the television show Famously Single on E!, he's been featured guest expert for shows like The Today Show, Good Morning America, Entertainment Tonight, CBS Early Show, The Balancing Act, and AskHer.com, and magazines like Self, Health, Glamour, Cosmopolitan, and Upscale. He's also served as a national media spokesperson, management consultant, and executive coach for companies like Capital One, Fitbit, Buffalo Wild Winds, Microsoft, Carnival Cruise Lines, McCormack and Spice, IFF Plus Consulting, and Falcon Credit Management. He was born in Pennsylvania. He was educated at Swarthmore College, where he received his Bachelor's of Science in Psychology, and the University of Pennsylvania, where he received his Master's in Applied Positive psychology, an Ivy League degree held by only a few dozen people in the world. He currently lives in Los Angeles, where I was lucky enough to meet him, and he's got an incredible story, and we actually connected on a show that he hosts every morning daily called the Evertalk TV show. So I would like to, I can't even speak this morning, (laughs) I would like to welcome Rob Mack. How are you going? I'm awesome, my friend. How are you? I'm very good. All the better to speak with you. It's been, what, about three weeks now since I saw you last? Four weeks? I know. It feels like it was just yesterday, but the time blows by, doesn't it? Right. Oh, it does. But reading reading that, you have done some stuff in your career, and you're still only looking your 20s. How is that possible, oh, man? man? I owe you <laughs> yeah. a check and a Venmo, and I owe you a direct deposit, and I appreciate that. You know, it's interesting because when I was younger, I looked so young, like too young to do any real work, even though I was working for a consulting firm. So um, I couldn't appreciate that then, but I appreciate it so much more now. Yeah. So we, we, as I say, we caught up on your show that you do daily, Ever Talk TV, and it was to introduce the Imperfectly Perfect campaign. So um, when you first heard about the campaign, we'll start with that. What, what did you think and when you saw the images? Oh, my goodness. I loved it. I mean, absolutely loved it. You know, I think for me, someone who's been through um, you know, my own challenges. I just found it, uh, first of all, so refreshing that folks were opening up and they were being honest about the very real challenges that they're facing. And, um, you know, to see sort of folks that I had known about, um, you know, from a, that were public sort of public figures or household names, and then also people, you know, that I had never seen before, never heard anything about, but to hear them all sharing this story, a very similar stories, but unique in their own ways about their own challenges um, with mental health and with depression and with anxiety and with suicide. I mean, for me, it was so deeply inspiring. Um, and I just feel such gratitude for you uh, for, you know, kicking this off and just ramping it up in such an, uh, you know, inspiring way. So thank you for that. Oh, you're welcome. And one thing that always sticks with me um, when we caught up is, is the fact that when we went outside to shoe and you was like all the incredible stuff that I've done over the years, like things like this mean a lot to me. 
Um, and that's stuck in my head because it, it's just in itself. It says what kind of person you are and you use your voice for telling your story. Um, and what I'd like to do, if you're happy, is, is to actually tell that story. Because when you told me that day, I mean, like looking at you on camera and I told you that day, I said, you're a good looking guy. You, you sound great. You're awesome on camera, but you never felt that way in the past, did you? What you were telling me? I never did, man. I never did, man. I, uh, you and I come from the same cloth, man, and like it's so profound to me. And I'm not surprised at all. But when I met you and connected with you, I mean, it just felt like family, you know. And I and, and I mean that. Um, you know, we have very sort of similar, um, I think, experiences. You know, I grew up really happy, healthy family. You know, they were all seemed to be so. I was miserable, um, really unhappy. Um, you know, just for no real reason in the beginning that I could make sense of. Um, I did well athletically. I did well academically. Um, you know, like I said, healthy family. Didn't have a whole lot of friends. I was very introverted, very shy, um, you know, painfully shy. And, uh, you know, over time, despite sort of doing well on the sports field and doing well in the classroom and even getting some friends here and there, I just continued to experience like increasing depression. Um, you know, at first it was just like self-loathing and self-hate. But it grew um, from that into being just like this deep, dark depression. And despite my life getting better and better in so many ways, I mean, eventually went on to work for a consulting firm and I had a beautiful girlfriend and, and uh, you know, things were going well for me and money coming in. Um, I just felt worse and worse despite life getting better and better. So, you know, I got to a place in my life where it was so painful um, just to live. Like, I mean, every day I was thinking about killing myself and I would think about, killing myself, you know, I mean, I'd say every few minutes, quite frankly, and uh, that seems like a lot, but it was my experience. I just hated everything about myself and I hated everything about my life. And the fact that I couldn't feel real genuine gratitude for an objectively good life was completely like maddening to me. I couldn't figure that out, that part out at all. But I later discovered I was experiencing this existential angst, as they call it, just this idea that, look, everybody, we work so hard to love and to get to love us and these things we work so hard to accomplish and achieve and acquire, like one day will be ripped away from us. That was so disheartening for me and it was so unsettling. Um, so eventually I went online every day. I mean, I literally thought, you know, first of all, I was just experiencing such deep self hate, um, you know, really self loathing. And, uh, you know, on top of that, I just had a very pessimistic outlook on everything. And then on top of that, you know, I just experienced, what I later came to realize was existential angst, which was this sort of idea, this experience uh, sort of of knowing that or feeling that if you work so hard to get to love you, that one day all of these things and all these people would be ripped away from you uh, by death. That was like super unsettling to me, really um, disheartening to me. So that idea drove me along with the self-hate and self-loathing along with the pessimism, you know, just to basically go online and like research ways to kill myself. Cause I was thinking about it, like, honestly, um, dozens and dozens of times a day, like every five, 10 minutes. Right. So, um, I went online. I decided that I would slit my wrist. I didn't have access to lots of other means and methods. You know, I didn't have a gun. I didn't have, uh, you know, medication that I could take. I didn't want it to be violent. I want, didn't want it to be too painful. I had all these things in my head. In any case, I decided I'd slit my wrist. And so, um, you know, that's kind of what I chosen. So I went to the kitchen. I just got a kitchen knife and, you know, as much as I wanted to die, <laughs> I did not want to experience pain though still, Glenn. So, you know, um, I just dug that knife into my wrist to see how painful it was going to be. And, uh, you know, I still have the test marks on my wrist to this day. Um, but something very strange happened when I did that. 
and I couldn't really explain it at the time. You know, I just knew that as I dug that knife in, I suddenly felt a peace I had never, ever experienced before. Like I would even argue that it was like a blissful kind of experience. Um, it just washed over me. So at that point in time, I was like, well, you know, I can postpone this suicide thing for at least like one hour. I can put it off, but I should look more deeply into this because there's something going on. My life hasn't changed in any objective way, like externally, you know, everything is the way it's always been, which was never really the problem anyway. Um, but somehow on the inside, I feel totally different. I feel at peace and I feel joy. And um, so I should look into that. So I did that. So that hour that I decided to postpone, um, you know, my suicide, it slipped into several hours and then several days and then several weeks. Um, the whole time I still had an experienced suicidal ideation, but I was doing some research and I was looking and reaching out uh, to resources to try and discover like how I might live happily. Because if I want to live live at all, I want to make sure that I'm living happily. Um, so that's kind of the way I ended up sort of moving in the direction um, that I did around happiness. I mean, I I always ask people this as well, and it's when I was going through my own my own um, issues, so to speak. Um, but you know, when you say seemingly on an external point of view, you had this great life. And people thought you had this great life. Did you battle with that as well? Because yes. I did with my body dysmorphia by going, I know that this is not normal thinking like this. I know I have it all, but why am I feeling like this? And then it, it's almost like I always say an internal conflict, like you're going against yourself because you're going, you know that you have a good life. So you want to be happy and you think it's silly. That That's the word that I would say. You, you know, it's silly to be thinking it because you how yes. did you feel at that stage? Oh, identity. identity. I felt exactly like you just described. I looked at my life and I thought, my goodness, um, this woman, the girl that I was dating, I mean, beautiful, spoke five languages. She was incredible. You know, my health, I was in perfect health. Like, yeah. no real complaints there at all. My family, they were all loving. I mean, we had our conflict like any family, but nothing to complain about. You know, I had a job. I didn't love my job at all, but I made good money. And I just looked out and I realized, you're right, like objectively, I can't complain. And mm. yet, I feel so miserable. And in some ways, it made it worse. It almost would have been easier if I had something to point to and say, it's that. It's just yeah. this one thing or it's just this other thing, you know, but I couldn't do that. And because I couldn't, and I, even though I tried to feel like gratitude around this incredible external life that I had, it made it worse because I was like, there is something very much wrong with me. Like I've got a chemical imbalance or I've got something that just isn't right about me. My wires are crossed, you know, and, um, I'm sorry to interrupt, mate. Did, did anyone pick up on it at the time? Uh, not really. I think people just felt that I was the same old guy, you know, that I'd always been, which was kind of shy and introverted and quiet and, um, and mostly pessimistic, <laughs> you know, but nobody really did. I mean, I, 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 um, even when I go back and I, Talk to my parents about it, my brother and sister. I think everybody was so involved in their own lives and they had their own stress and they had their own experience. And I also didn't want to share it. I didn't want to talk about it at length. It wasn't a happy subject. It wasn't something that people I felt really needed to hear about because I wasn't going to be able to really, you know, that wasn't something that would help feed their lives. So I was clear about that. I thought, well, if it's my pain and my struggle, um, you know, I need to deal with it. That being said, there were times when I did try to broach the subject with people a little bit and say, man, 
don't you think this life thing is odd? We're all thrown on this planet without like a guidebook and then everything's ripped away, sometimes suddenly, often suddenly. And uh, most people say, oh, we're optimists, don't think that way. And I always took that to be proof and evidence that I did not take that conversation any further with those folks. So yeah. But it's funny but, you say that. It's, it's exactly the same way it worked with me. It's almost like you drop little hints to people and they don't pick up on it. And it's not their fault because, like you say, they're so involved in their own lives and you can't take that away from somebody. But at the same time, it's, it's sort of like when people do get to that suicidal point and it's like there's cries for help. There's cries for help quite early on as well, isn't it? And it's just being more mindful of, of taking these, probably educating ourselves a little bit more for these kind of, like I said, when people reach out and, and, and bring an odd conversation into yes. our aspect. Yeah. I love you saying that, and I couldn't agree more. I definitely, you know, gave hints um, because I was trying to test the waters to see if it was a safe space to share what I was wanting to share. And I didn't think of it that way. I just knew maybe this is a person I could. So, um, you know, mostly people didn't pick up on that because, like you said, they're consumed with their own lives. Um, also, I didn't say a whole lot. So it wasn't anybody else's fault. Um, I just wasn't sharing. I was sharing just little tiny tidbits. And, um, you know, I think there is a huge opportunity and that's what I love about this campaign is that there's a huge opportunity for us all to become increasingly educated around mental health, mental illness, what are the, some of the telltale signs of a person who's struggling, really struggling uh, with mental illness or struggling with depression or struggling with suicidal ideation, um, you know, the, and also what we can do about that. And at the same time, I also want people to know that, you know, if you've had someone who's committed suicide or who's struggling with mental illness, and it doesn't, it's not your fault. Like it's, you're not responsible for that. Like I had a, my college roommate just a few months ago, you know, committed suicide. This is a guy for all intents and purposes looked and seemed very happy. And, um, you know, there would have been an earlier, younger version of me that would have said, Oh my gosh, I could have done more. And we can always say that we can always say that we could have done more. Um, but I think that that's part of the point and purpose of this campaign is we're, we're all making ourselves available. We're all responsible in some ways and just doing our best to connect with people, to reach out with people, to support them in whatever way we can, but we don't need to feel guilty when things happen that we can't control. It's human nature, isn't it? We're imperfect. Like we can't take on the sensibility or responsibility of somebody else's actions, although we can question it by going, oh, if only I would have, or I'd have done this, or I'd have, but we can't at the end of the day. It's like, but if we're moving forward, like I, what I've been seeing from this space in the past year is that we are moving forward and people are talking a lot more about it. But then there's aspects of my everyday life that I just found out yesterday. I, I, I actually had an open conversation, open the dialogue with a friend that I thought we'd, for some reason, parted ways a little bit because I was in LA for over a month. And on on the external front of view, I was going in the gym every day and he was seeing me and he was happy and smiley, bubbly, all the same and introducing me to everyone. And it was like, this is Glenn. He's my best mate from Australia, but they never caught up with me. And I found it so strange. I was like, here's this guy who we're like best mates for this long. And he wants to meet my wife and my kids and just never got in touch. And he posted something on social yesterday and I picked up on it straight away and reached out to him and told him how I'd felt. But I understood because from his post for the last two months, he's been going through his deepest, darkest days of being in the LA kind of not entertainment, but the, the fitness environment where everyone's trying to be the next big fitness influencer is hanging around with these big names and 
it was like feeling like people only need him when he can do something for them and when he needs yes. help. And, and I was like, my God, dude, I was like, I'm here. And he was like, yeah, no, but you were busy. I didn't want to bother you. I'm like, I'm flaming doing a mental health campaign and I'm all about it. I was like, and then I pulled myself back. Even me, I'm still learning. And I was like, yeah, it was so happy. So you yeah. just don't see these signals at time. And I think, yeah. You, you just nailed it. You just nailed it. And there's so much there to unpack and I won't unpack mm. it all um, but it, because it's so profound. But I will say one of the things I've discovered is that as often as I think something is about me, it's usually about the other person, mm. right? Like we all sometimes think that the reason person doesn't reach out to us or whatever is because of us. But more often than not, most people are so consumed again and absorbed in their own lives that they don't reach out or they don't reach back to you or, you know, and so the challenge and opportunity is that for folks like you and I, for instance, who have been through it, and I think that's the value of sharing our stories, that when we're able to share our stories, first of all, it gives people the license so that they can share their story too, and they can share it with people like us, if not us directly. Like that's the one thing I've discovered is that people are a lot more likely and willing to share their story back with us. The second thing is, and I've been careful about is like what you did so well there and what I'm always working on is not making up stories about why people don't reach back out to us and why they're not connecting with us or not. Because like you said, um, they're consumed with their lives. And for those of us who have been through it, sometimes, you know, unfortunately, it's like with more power and more freedom often comes more responsibility. And you, I, again, inspire me so much, Glenn, just because you took that at, first of all, you noticed the sign that something might be off and then you reached out yourself. And that's often very challenging for most of us because we don't want to be like intrusive in somebody's life or we feel like maybe it's their turn to reach back out to us because we've reached out to them so many times. But when we find or see signs like that, to reach out is the ultimate act of courage and bravery. And for me, it's deeply, truly inspiring. I just love seeing that. Mm. And uh, and we always know, and I thank you for that. And, and we always know it's all about empathy because people really do just want to talk and offload. But you do need to ultimately, and I always say with these conversations that we need to start and be proactive as well. Like, just reach out because that's my all it take. Reach out and then shut your mouth. Oh, exactly. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> do you know what I mean? But I think sometimes everything has got so conservative in places where people are too afraid to say certain things and 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 i understand it to an extent there's the professional side if you're in business or or whatever it may be but if these conversations aren't being had like at the end of the day the human race was built around connection and love and that's what we all want to feel so we need to almost disrupt this sense of what i'm trying to do on social media and its intended purpose when it came about was to connect people yeah why aren't we doing it? Like there's this competing, there's the narcissism that's got in the way of people going good on you for showing the reality. And, and like, and I take my hat off to you for your story and what you've done with your career. And like, when was the actual pivotal moment for you, Rob, when you was like, I know when you, when you told me that like you, you dug into your arm and then you sort of researched it, it got better and better. But when was that point where you went to yourself I think I've found a new purpose in helping other people. Oh man. Great question, man. It, it was, um, so great question. So initially I think like all great, um, pursuits and paths and businesses it starts off very selfishly, right? I just wanted to be happy. And I was like, I'm going to either live 
blissfully happy or I'm going to die. Like that, that's, that, those are the options. So I threw myself wholeheartedly into like doing the research and trying to learn from everybody. I would have a conversation with somebody like you and I would just eat that up and I would ask you a thousand questions, mostly around how you got through what you were going through. And you might, I might not necessarily share what I was going through, but the whole time I was thinking, how can I apply this in my own life? So after a period of time, I got to a place where I just kept making, you know, more and more decisions that contributed to my happiness. So you know, I moved to a warm weather climate because that was big for me. And I stopped doing the job that I hated. And that was big for me. And I broke up with a wonderful girlfriend who I just wasn't a good fit with. And then some, at some point, I got to a place where I was just loving my life. Like I was genuinely loving my life because I was doing all these things that contributed to my happiness that I had read somewhere else or researched somewhere else. And I was tracking it all. Okay, I was just tracking a little journal. And then I would notice people would sometimes ask me, like, what are you doing with that journal? And why do you always talk about happiness and this and that? And I thought, well, you know, it's just because I'd been through this thing. And they think, well, what have you learned? And then suddenly I was like, oh, wow. Like this deep, dark problem that I had has turned into my greatest, highest purpose. Mm-hmm. And it was that when I started getting people asking me to help them. And it might have just been a friend or they just might ask me for something small like, hey, Rob, do you know any good books? And I'm like, are you kidding? I read a book a day. Like, you know, I could t- give a thousand books. And mm-hmm. so it was at that point when I was, you know, just start off very selfishly and I wasn't expecting anything from anybody and I wasn't trying to sell people on being clients. I wasn't even, I didn't have a private practice. I didn't, I just wanted to be happy, man. I didn't care. I could have lived on the beach and been homeless just as long as I was happy. And then that's when it began. Like, you know, I just start, started to ramp up and then I got the idea like, wait, there's probably, in fact, I know there's a ton of people in the world, more people now than ever that are experiencing stress and anxiety and depression and, um, you know, all these basically realizing and recognizing that they're, imperfect and i want to help them realize and rediscover the perfection within that imperfection i think that's amazing and to see and read more about what you've done and where you've come and what you've come through i don't it just blows me away and, and and you touched on something there when you was like you was just wanting to make yourself happy or you was doing it for a purpose and what i have noticed when i've been talking to people like yourself who are highly successful is that it's kind of you've been through the harshest of things as much as we don't want to go through them and we'd never want to be there again. But it's like you've been put on this journey and there's greater things at the work that are pushing things forward. And people keep saying it. And the people like yourself again that I've connected with, they're all coming at me. It's almost like I always say, and I joke now, is when you start talking about a new car or a certain brand and then all of a sudden Facebook picks up on it and then it's put yeah. in front of you. Oh, yeah, the law of attraction is kind of, Everyone that I'm meeting, and for the past month, it's, I never talked to anyone on a plane. I started to do, and this person was into intuition and gratitude and journaling. And I was like, I do that. And yeah. more and more coming. And they've all been through severe adversity, overcome it, and found these new avenues, 12 others. And when people come to this campaign and they say, wow, it's, it keeps on growing. And then two people brought it to my attention. And it was like, because it's from a place of love and it's authentic and you're actually putting your money into it, but there's no essential like outsourcing or those people that have got political, whatever business or all that. And it's raw, it's real, it's authentic. And it's, it's been pushed by love. And I think it is because I went through adversity like that. And I look, I could sit and talk to you all day about what you've gone through. And it's just, I'm not a psychologist. I never claim, and a disclaimer, guys, I never claim to be an expert <laughs> at yeah. the same time. Just listening to somebody. 
Totally. And, and yet you are. I mean, the, the moment I talk to you, every time I talk to you and connect with you, I learn so much. I learn so much more than I could possibly share with you. And I'm always um, so overwhelmed by that in the most um, exciting way, right? In the most thrilling way. I'm excited by what I learned from you, what I get from you. And you're right. The information is always helpful. And the experience you share is helpful. But what I love most is that you share your heart. Like you share yourself. And that's part of what I love, again, about the campaign, this campaign. And I love about the work that you're doing and, um, and ideally the work that I'm doing. And part of the reason I feel like, and I sometimes joke and people will say, you know, Rob, like, what are you good at? And I said, there's only one thing in the world I know anything about, really. And it's really just myself. Yeah, I've read a lot of, you know, articles and I know a lot of research and I've gone to master's program and another master's program and all this stuff. But at the end of the day, I know a ton about me and my experience from depression to happiness. And because it was literally life or death for me, it put me in a position where I'm so full of conviction about around a very finite number of things. And it comes from such a place of deep authenticity because I started doing this work knowing full well, I probably would never be able to pay the bills <laughs> doing it. Yeah. It wasn't ever about that. Like not for a second was it about that. It was the only thing in the whole world that I felt truly deeply passionate about. And yeah. again, it came from the most selfish place. And so that's why, again, I love what you're doing. And I love what you're saying too around the social media thing because it's easy. People get so caught up in the social media world and in the algorithms and they don't even realize it sometimes none of us realize it sometimes the ways in which we're sent down a path that's increasingly destructive and depressing and stressful and anxiety ridden and lonely okay and thank god there are folks like you who are this be you know beautiful lights in this otherwise sometimes dark world and experience whether it's in the real world or online that are shining a light on the things that matter most, the things that make our life worth living. And uh, that's what makes me so excited about this entire initiative um, that you're behind, that I'm behind, that you've got all these uh, other wonderful folks that we have um, that are behind it as well. I, I, I brought this up the other day and I was like, all these people that, are, like you say, with the social media and the algorithms and everything, I said, you can have one like or 50 likes but with this campaign if it affects one person to the point it seeks them to get action or help that that's all for me yeah but even if you're not looking at a, a mental health or a campaign kind of point of view i always say to people i now know and i'm grateful to have met some of the most successful people in the industries that they're in social media to them comes second nature it might come as a marketing tool for their business or service but when it comes to them they're not looking at likes they're not looking but they're still multimillionaires or they're still successful. And they're going, the old ways are still the best ways. You have to connect with people. It's, unfortunately, it, it, it rings a truth. It's who you know and it's networking and it's getting yourself out there. You can't sit behind a computer screen and expect, oh, I've got 10,000 likes. Now I'm going to get this, this, and this. Like, it takes one of the right people to see your work and to take oh note. Like, isn't that the truth? I mean, that's the truth, Glenn. You're right. I mean, and I love you saying that because I've always been, um, you know, a big proponent too. You know, it takes one great idea to become an insanely, you know, an insane success. It takes one great idea to go from depressed to happy or to go from stressful to at peace or to go from feeling imperfect to feeling quite happy and loving of yourself, right? I mean, it's just, it's one idea or it's one person that can completely change your entire life. Like, and often that's precisely what it is. I mean, for me, it was an author. You know, I didn't have the Imperfectly Perfect campaign at the time. There was no social media. And I discovered Abraham Hicks. 
And I mean, it was yeah. life changing for me. It was life altering for me. And so we all have to kind of remember that. And I love you reminding us of that, that we never know. We could be one conversation literally away from an entirely different life or an entirely different experience of life. So that is just gold. And I want none of us to forget that because sometimes I think in this life, in this world, we lose hope and we then begin to put hope in things, you know, like how many likes we have, or we put hope in things outside of ourselves. Um, but at the end of the day, you know, I think it, just does come back to the basics, being able to connect with people, being authentic, being transparent, just being kind, being caring. I mean, they're very simple, fundamental things that no matter how hard we try, we just can't escape or avoid. And thank God for that because they make, these are the things that make life meaningful. Yeah. Couldn't agree more. And um, when you say to, to thinking about just moving forward, there's, I always bring it back to this and I tell everybody, Jacqueline Albergoli, she's one of, a really close friend got to introduce you to in LA. She's, she's just like my shining light. And I once was wanting a mentor to come forward and I was putting out there to the universe. And then I was like, I was always talking to Jacqueline and then it clicked one day. I was like, maybe you're my mentor. Cause I've learned so much from you and she's been through severe depression most of her life. And she actually made for the campaign, a, a, a YouTube video and I'll send the link and it's very raw. She went to the Oscars and she's done some incredible shows and then the day after, she'd be showing her reality of depression and what she went through. It's so powerful. And what's stopped her taking her life in the past is one thought, and I think it's incredible, and I tell everyone, what happens if tomorrow is the best day of your life? How powerful is that? And that's just kept her moving every day, just thinking, if I do this, what if tomorrow, if I just keep going, what if tomorrow is actually something that is... How powerful is that? Oh, my gosh. I mean, that gives me shivers. Shivers. I mean, it's so good. And you're right about that. And if you look at your life, and I often, you know, it's easy sometimes to take other people's words or thoughts, um, you know, for truth. But if you look into your own life, you can see the truth of that. How many days have we all had that were terrible? And then literally the next day, you check your inbox, you check your mailbox, you check your voicemail, you pick up the phone. And there's literally a message of something really positive and exciting and new makes you come alive in a way that you weren't literally hours before. And that's happened to me so often. And sometimes that message is already sitting in there now, or that voice was already sitting in there now. It was that it was there the day you were depressed, but because you were so depressed and you could check out on of, of life, you didn't see it. And yep. I just love you saying that, Glenn. And every time I look at my life, I think, my goodness, some of the very best days. Um, of my life have come on the heels of the very worst days. No question yeah. about it. You know, and I can think of, a, of several examples just now. I mean, there were a couple of times when I got called for spokesperson gigs. Um, I had nothing. At one time I was completely homeless and I um, was living in a gym, like sneaking in the gym and living there, sleeping on a yoga mat. And I just remember thinking, this is the worst day of my life. This has got to be the end. And literally the next day, um, thank God I had charged my cell phone. Don't even know how it was still in service. I got a phone call and they said, Hey, do you want to do this? Book? And I'm like, are you kidding? Wow. I did, you know, best day, worst, worst day. I mean, unbelievable. Wow. See, I didn't even know that about you. Like, yeah. How did yeah. you get yourself into a space where you were homeless? Yeah. You know, it was you just, you was going through your, your emotional struggles and yeah, it was like, you know, I was trying to make the transition. I was doing entertainment stuff. And I was a model and I was acting and, you know, in Florida, we call that being unemployed. <laughs> it was so hard to book work. You know? <laughs> At least you're honest about it. <laughs> yeah. 
Here it's called in between oh, gigs. <laughs> yes, exactly. In between gigs. And that's the challenging thing about the entertainment world, as you know. You yep. book something incredible. I mean, I was literally like, you know, in Glamour or magazine or something one day. And the next day, you know, it doesn't pay enough. And the next day, you know, you got to wait six months for that check. So you don't have food, to, you don't have money to eat. So yep. it was one of those situations where I was doing that. And it was also simultaneously trying to make the transition into like doing more coaching work and stuff like that. And, um, you know, and I just had, you know, a number of things happened. I got sick and a number, and I just, I didn't have any money left. And I was helping, trying to help friends out also, you know, with money and stuff. And I just got to a place where I didn't have anything. I didn't have any in my, you know, lease was up and I didn't have money to get into a new apartment. And, you know, so I just got stuck there and I thought, well, you know, um, this is a problem, <laughs> you know, <laughs> and, uh, it's, it's interesting because at that moment though, I sort of decided, well, this, this is it, this is it. Um, you know, but this is definitely, it feels like it's one of the worst days of my life. And literally it wasn't even 12 hours. I mean, I got a phone call. It completely changed my whole year and going forward to change the rest you know, of my life. Wow. I love hearing people's stories. I really do. I, it, it just amazes me. And that's why I always say throughout everything, everyone has a story and people are so quick to judge. And like I said on the show, when we was talking, I was like, it really is based off the back of hypocrisy. We might have all done things, whatever, and we judge people, whether it's good or bad, but you just don't know what someone's been through, do you? Like, no, I looked don't. at you when I, so I looked at you when I walked in and I was like, so confident, he's dressed so good, he, look, he looks good. I was like, look at his teeth, pearly white teeth, like he did, and you sound good. Like I always say, and I said to you, Americans just sound like they're selling things all the time because you sound so confident. <laughs> it? It, it's true, it's true. And like, I was like, me, I self-doubt myself even to this day, and I felt uncomfortable on camera. I just always do. But you two made me feel so comfortable. So I would say if anyone else is going to ask me on TV for an interview, it needs to be a couch. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and with a, with, a, with a cup of tea. Like, uh, bloody hell. Yeah, and I saw, I, I, saw, I saw you walk in and Jeslyn as well, and I was like, oh, these guys are so confident. These are... But again, I don't know Jeslyn's story. You never know, do you? Oh, my gosh. Glenn. You just nailed it. You never know what their past story is. You don't know what their current story is. And, uh, and you don't know what their future story is. And, yep. and I love you saying that because, of course, when I see you, I, every time I see I think the same thing about you. I'm like, man, this guy's in phenomenal shape. He's so incredibly confident. He's got these beautiful pearly whites. He's such a good-looking guy. He speaks so well. Gosh, I wish I had that accent. You know, all these things that um, just make you, um, at least my experience of you, yeah, I just love it. I mean, it just makes my experience of you um, so incredibly like um, exciting. And I just see you in the most positive light ever. And had you not told me your story, I would never have known. And I would have just assumed, my, this guy's been crushing it, you know, and, uh, and, and, and feeling good, essentially, his whole life. And he probably just loved himself from birth. And, you know, we have these stories in our head. <laughs> yeah. yeah. But the truth is, is that, yeah, um, the most um, beautiful people, that I've ever known, and you certainly top that list, the most beautiful people that I've ever known, inside and out, okay, didn't just stumble into that beauty. They have been through really tough, adverse conditions. They've experienced defeat. They've experienced, you know, their trials and tribulations. And yes, maybe you're seeing them now at a place where they're, you know, triumphant, but beautiful people don't just happen. Like, right, like the kind of beauty that we're talking about here, where you can not only see that they're, you know, aesthetically, pleasing to the eye, but that deep inside you feel this love come from their heart. You feel this connection come from them. It doesn't happen by accident. And so I've learned to really appreciate that and accept that, that, you know, we all go through tough times no matter who we are. And some of the most successful people are successful 
precisely because they went through such difficulty in their lives. That's what allowed them to become so successful. I think the metaphor is that, you know, a plane doesn't rise with the wind. It rise, rises against the wind. It's the resistance that forces the plane to go higher. Um, and so it's, often life works very much the same way. Well, I appreciate that. And I love listening to analogies that people come out with. And I'll tell you the best one that I keep on saying with Letitia Fry, another lady that came on the campaign. She actually flew in from... Um, she flew in from Arizona to LA just to shoot because it meant so much and the story is incredible. But what she always said was it starts with yourself. She was like, why do you think when you're on planes, the first thing they, t- they tell you to do when it's going down is to put your life jacket on? Because if you don't look after yourself, you are no good to anybody else. And I took that with me as well. And I was like, how incredible is that? Cause you don't think of these little things that can make such an impact on your life. Yes. I, I love that you say that. So um, in my book, um, I share that. One of the chapters is about that, except it's about the oxygen mask. Like the first thing they tell you on the other airplane is make sure that you secure your own oxygen mask first before securing the oxygen mask of everybody else. Because if you don't, then you can't help anyone. And so yeah. in order to prevent or help people who are drowning, you have to be beyond drowning. You have to not be drowning yourself. And that's yeah. why you know, I know it's hard for lots of us to sort of admit and sort of embrace this idea that we have to prioritize our own self and our own self-care and our own self-love, but it's just critical. You can only give what you have. I've got a quick question on the side and, and I like to ask people because um, the effects and the, the resounding feedback I got when I started this campaign, but to the faces that I put on there, or, or we'll go back into your career, should I say, was there one standout moment that somebody reached out and made you be grateful for it is what you do. Like, I know you're grateful for what you've been through in your story, but somebody that just sent you that message and you was like, my God, one word that I, I said. Okay. One yes. So profound, Glenn. Again, like you give me shivers every time we talk. It's my sort of test for like, so, you know, being uh, connected with somebody at the soul level. And um, I, was, so I was at the Beverly Center, like outside the Beverly Center in L.A., and, uh, you know, I'm just shopping, whatever. So I leave the store and I happen to have come from the show before I went to the store. So I'm walking out of the store and, uh, this kid, he, uh, this older guy, he's probably not, you know, he's pretty young. He's 55 maybe. And he's with the, um, another, I think it was his son who was like 20 something years old, maybe mid twenties. So, uh, I hear him shout out, Oh man, I love your shoes. You know, I love your outfit. And I'm thinking, Oh man, such a nice compliment, you know? And so I'm like, wow, thanks so much, blah, blah, blah. So the next thing you know, we start talking. And we're talking, and the son is very quiet, super quiet. So the guy's asking me, what do you do? And why are you dressed like this? And, you know, and, like, and so he says, oh, that's interesting that you do this and this and this. And then at some point in the conversation, he said, why do you do this? And I remember literally just, say, you know, like wrist, lifting up my wrist and saying, because I've been suicidal my whole life, man. Like I was so like miserable for the better part <laughs> of 20-some years. And so now I'm crystal clear that I like being happy and I want everyone to be as happy as humanly possible because when I'm happy and they're, it's just a happier world and we're all better people for it. And we're all just in many ways, it's a kinder, you know, more peaceful planet. And so he said, Whoa. So all of a sudden I see his son standing there and tears just streaming down this kid's face, you know, and he's looking at me and I'm like, Oh man, I'm, I'm hoping inside my head. I'm like, I hope I didn't say anything that upset this kid. And he literally said, Rob, I was going to kill myself today. And literally this conversation 
changed my mind. Now, now Glenn, I had no clue. Like I wasn't had any intention of convincing anybody of anything. And I cannot say that it was anything other than God or divine intervention or life itself that allowed this whole thing to transform. But I will say, had I not been transparent about my own experiences, who knows, right? So this kid, he gives me the biggest hug, man. And he didn't want to let go. And I didn't want to let go of him either. And his dad's looking at him and I'm looking at him. And I cannot, I mean, literally, the guy just met, he literally, they're walking away and he's, he's like, dude, I love you. Dude. And I'm like, wow, brother, like, I feel the same love for you. Like, I really do. So, yeah, Glenn, I mean, it's amazing. And that wasn't even that long ago. It was a few months ago. And that was just probably one of the highlights of my life. Because um, it wasn't about me. You know, it's about the fact that somebody else made a different decision. But that's amazing. Like, something like that, it, it, it stays with you, doesn't it? Yes. I mean, to this day, and, and, and when I did can this remember happen? it. As vivid, yeah. uh, it's a few a few months ago, probably um, you know, right before the holidays. Wow! I got a message the other day. I'd, I'd started this the, the Facebook group. I just put it on a group so that people could initiate conversations. And somebody, I was just welcoming all the new people. And somebody from my school that I haven't seen like I've been in Australia for seventeen years, and that had been traveling for like three, four, five years before that. And she actually, she's been following the stuff and sends nice messages. But on here in front of everyone, she was like, Glenn might not remember this, but I, I was going through a hard time and I put something on my socials and Glenn was the one that reached out. And what he said to me that day made an impact and I changed my outlook. And I was like, I don't even remember that. But that stuck with me. And I was like, my God, you just don't know. And I always say to every face that comes on this campaign, I'm like, especially the younger ones that are on like, you won't know it in Australia, but there's two big soaps called Home and Away Neighbors here. Their fan base is, how, what can I equivalent to a US show? Something that all the kids watch, basically. Wow. It's, it's a beach show. And Thor, you know Thor, Chris Hemsworth? He started off on that show. Yeah, he started off on that show. Um, and there's a lot of the, the guys that are on that campaign, like Paddy and all that lot. And I'm like, the difference that you guys make when you came on and the amount of messages from people who look up to you and aspire. So on the back end, when you get people going to celebrate, is what do they know? On the other end, you get so many thousands of messages from these people going, wow, I never knew. Like, totally. And, and, and these guys, when they see the messages, they're like, okay, so we know we can use our platform to have a voice, but I didn't realize to what extent it can actually save lives. I was like, it, you don't even need a platform in terms of being a celebrity. Oh, like, well, exactly. And that was just it. I mean, that's what always amazes me. I think the most is when like you, you're just living your life, but you're living it authentically and you're living it from a place of love. Right. And you're just sharing the way you'd share. And somebody who doesn't know you doesn't know anything you've done or anything that, you know, you've accomplished or anything doesn't care. doesn't matter. Yeah. Just, and you connect with them and suddenly they are moved and they're transformed, and they're changed, or they make a different decision. Like, that to me is always the most awe-inspiring. And that's what I love about the messages that you're sharing here, and that's what I love most about the messages that I've received. Like, you know, I think sometimes it's always great when you hear somebody or see someone who's accomplished a lot, because then you can say, oh, my gosh, it's the money won't save me from this. Like, the, the, the success won't save me from this. Not that I won't enjoy it and experience it and appreciate it one day, you know, but that people that are experiencing or ha they have everything I thought and dreamed I'd have, they also 
feel somewhat imperfect inside. They're also having their own challenges and they also feel unhappy or depressed or stressed or anxious or having, you know, they have an eating disorder or whatever. Sometimes for me, that was always like, wow, if they can do it, I feel much more comfortable and they can share their story. Right. Rather. I feel much more comfortable doing it myself. You know, they're putting kind of everything on the line in terms of sharing it uh, with a public who may or may not understand. And that for me is just, it's like the ultimate, um, you know, a testament to like courage and faith and, and, and bravery. I mean, just incredible. It's just sharing, isn't it? What I do love about you, and I don't think I've told you about you on your socials, this is one thing that I tend to do as well. And I picked it up from listening to a, a successful person. But one of the reasons behind it is obviously loving what I do and the passion behind it. But I noticed that you reply to every single person on your comments. Yeah. And you're a busy guy. Like, let's face yeah. it. But I yeah. noticed that. I was like, wow, this guy takes it out of his time to appreciate every single person that's reached out. And um, you I was so observant, you, man. You've got an hour and you just blast through them. <laughs> but I wanted to ask you, because it, it sounds in a weird way, but I love the people that try and bring construct, not construct, more criticism or conflict. And I always I take it away to, and why I bring it back to you replying to everyone is because I reply to each of these and I have had messages in the past through the campaign, just, just going, oh, celebrities or, or just blasting it. And I, I, I nearly lost somebody and some of these don't even know what the experience is like and blah, blah, blah. To these days becoming very good acquaintances and friends with them because I've, I've, I've come back to them and I've actually spoken through and turned the differences around. There was a one, one even one. And I, and I said to him, I got this message and it was like, can I ask you something about your campaign? And I'm like, yeah, of course you can. And he was like, why are they all good looking people? Hmm. And I was like, what do you mean all good looking people? I said, beauty is in the, the eye of the beholder. I was like, so he might not be good looking to you, but he might be to you or she might not be to her. And she might be. And he was like, Oh, well, I never thought about it like that. Fair point. Like, so I love that. And that's my question to you. Do you love it when people almost bring you the conflict so you can change their mind and their outlook? Because you know it's probably coming from a place where they're hurting or there's a place of hurt in them. Totally. I love that. And, um, yeah, I do remind myself often, like, you know, hate is always just unhappiness, you know. And yep. someone coming from a place of wanting to um, incite conflict is unhappy on some level, right? So they're projecting on you. And so um, I do love it. I love it for a number of reasons. One uh, is because, you know, and I couldn't have understood this or reminded myself of this before, but now since I'm aware that they're hurting and they're in pain, like that expression, only hurting people hurt people, you know, it's easier for me to respond. Before I used to take it very personally. I thought it was about me. And now I'm, I've disabused myself of that idea. Um, so yes, I love it for that reason. I also love it for the reason that the person, as much as we may not always feel that they're being uh, forthright and transparent. They are. If you're clear about the ways in which they're unhappy or struggling, then you know this is this for them is vulnerability. Okay, it may yeah. seem like an attack, but it's really a call to love. You know, and so um, I love it for that reason too because it gives me an opportunity to meet them where they are and actually provide some kind of help. Um, the other reason I love it, which is a much more selfish reason, is because my goal, part of my aim and intention in life, is to is consistently dial in to that place inside me that knows all is well, that is perfect peace and perfect love and perfect happiness. I'm going to do this as often as possible. And so those folks are like personal trainers for me. Yeah. Remind yeah. me 
of this intention I've set for myself to be unshakable and unmovable and unconditional in my peace, love, and my joy, and in my offers to help, right? So yes, Glenn, for all those reasons, I just love you saying that. Um, there was a time, of course, when I couldn't digest it, and the first thing I wanted to do was get in there and clap back, you know, on the person. <laughs> yeah. uh, you yep. know, just don't know. Uh, but I've discovered um, the error of my, you know, ways or the error of my thinking in that in that way. I just uh, I don't find any enjoyment in that, and it's really always a call to love. Yeah, yeah, I think it's oh, and now coming to your career, I mean, it's just skyrocketed what I see. Um, just going back to your bio and everything, like you've been endorsed by. Um, I was going to say Britney then. I don't know why B came from. <laughs> I was like, is the happiness coast by Britney? Um, but endorsed by Oprah and Vanessa Williams, like that in itself, like what an honor. Yeah, it, it, it really is. And, you know, I just have the most, uh, you know, really infinite gratitude, um, of course, for those folks. Um, and, you know, really anyone who is, um, who's seen the light in me, mm. right? Or has seen value in me and, has also and contributed contributed with you know to my life too with their own wisdom and with their own light and I'm, so I'm just I just feel so deeply grateful and sort of humbled um, that I've been even put in a position where I can have a conversation like this with someone like yourself who's so been so incredibly successful who has a heart of pure gold who's about real things and helping people in meaningful ways like I just find that it's unbelievable to me because when I look back and it wasn't that long ago. You know, wanting to kill myself, wanting feeling depressed, hating myself, and not being of any assistance to anybody else because I couldn't even assist and help myself. When I think back and I look now, I think, my goodness, I have been blessed in ways that I could never possibly earn, could never possibly have deserved, and yet it still um, happened, all of it. And so I just feel mostly grateful that I get to have conversations with people um, that are incredible. I've never met anyone who's not incredible um, and who I learn from, who I get to share with and who I get to talk to about things that are truly deeply meaningful, like self-acceptance and self-love and happiness and peace. I mean, these things are what make life worth living. So just to do that every day, Glenn, I mean, like to have this conversation right now, I mean, it's a highlight for me. Like it's a genuine highlight for me. Like I look forward to these conversations and they're the reason that I like being alive. Yeah. And do you find that your friendships with people have got a lot, lot deeper and a lot closer when you can share stuff like this, like oh my gosh, totally. the guy that told me what he was going through the other day, where initially I took offense thinking, oh, why that? And then I put it in his perspective and listened and empathy and all that. But it just makes you so much closer. And I was like, it was the first time I actually told him, mate, I was like, mate, I've got your back. I love you. Yeah. Like, and guys cool. don't tend to say that. And they came out of my mouth and he was like, love you, man. Glenn, we, oh, you know, man. I love this. You are so similar, by the way, because I do it with all my guy friends too. I'm like, yo, bro, I love you, man. And it's interesting because when you say it and you mean it and you say it with conviction, even if occasionally you get a strange eye from somebody, they, <laughs> yeah. after you've had a conversation like that, nothing else really does the conversation justice because that's how I genuinely feel. Like, I, like I, Glenn, I love you. Like, I love these conversations and I love the people that I get to connect with in that way. So you're right. Having these deep, meaningful conversation allows you to connect with people in a way that you can't really do by any other way through any other kinds of conversation. And don't, don't you think, um, we can go on tangents all day, mate. I'll let you go soon. <laughs> but, you know, it, I always bring it back to as well as like when you're a baby, like a baby is helpless. 
But to get help, it will let us know it's there by screaming, by crying, whatever. Somewhere along the line, we've got so scared to scream and cry for that help. That's where it needs to change as well. You're so right. Because there's still that inner child. And when we look at problems, and, and, and I know this trained professionals in terms of psychologists and psychiatrists to help with that, a lot of them essentially at the beginning don't want to medicate people. They want to find out the root cause. And I bring it back to the baby thing because a lot of it stems from somewhere. So yes. I think you do have to go back and feel where it did come from. Now with mine, I've been openly and said, keep trying different psychologists because one tried to pinpoint my body dysmorphia to being young and it wasn't. It was to do with social media, which I found out later through the campaign. Yeah, wow. they kept on something in your childhood, something, all this. And I was the first one that used to go on the beach and take my top off. Never bothered me. So it started getting to the point where it really pissed me off and I, I couldn't see them no longer because I was like, it's almost like they're trying to get to something and ingrain it in my head and it's not there. And through yes. the campaign, I found out when I was working out dates, it was actually the visuals from Instagram that I'd start comparing oh, myself my to. Gosh. Yeah, because wow. I always say it was around I was the time of 30. And when you're 30, like I always say, is the time where you're, you're supposedly, you concentrate on your career, your family and settle down and have the dad bod and not care as much. <laughs> totally. It went the other way for me. It, yeah. it just totally, oh, and like we spoke a, lot, a little bit where, I look at guys like yourself and confident in shape and then just pull yourself down. Yeah. Um, but I think we've just got to draw ourselves back to that almost childlike nature and connect. I love you saying this, Glenn, and um, so much because, and there's something I want to add to it because it's such a powerful reminder for us all. And that is, I live like you live. I live to help people. Like, I like it. Like, it's a selfish thing. I don't even do it. I do it for them, but I do it for me because I like being of value, okay? And so when somebody asks me for help, particularly something I can actually help them with, you know, I can't always, I don't always have infinite sums of money. I don't always have, you know, infinite time. I don't always have, you know, infinite resources. But there's one thing that I can help people with a lot. Like, there's one thing that I've lived and I've breathed and I've bled and I've sweat which is like this happiness thing, this one thing. So when people reach out and they say, hey, Rob, you know, can you help me? Or they put their, heart, their hand up or they cry out. I feel like I've been given a gift. And mm-hmm. so it's interesting because I know what it's like. It can be hard to reach out to people and ask for help because you feel like you're a burden or you feel like you're suddenly putting something on someone else's shoulder that doesn't belong to them. And you don't want to be a burden. You already feel like you're enough of a burden. But the one thing I didn't discover when I was feeling that way, when I was going through my own stuff, was that there were people out there in the world like you and like me, and there's so many other people. They're all represented there in the picture behind you and on your social media profile. Like they're all there. They all find it an incredibly invaluable gift to be asked for help and to be asked for assistance. Like it's, it's enlivening for me to actually put my problems of the past to a purposeful use right now here in the present by helping someone. So when you don't ask for help, when you don't put your hand up, when you don't ask for assistance, you're depriving someone of an incredible gift that they want to receive by giving you, by sharing with you their purpose and their passion, which is helping people. And it, and it can be second nature. I always say that like you, what you said to that, that, that kid that day on the street made a profound effect on him. And then he put a profound effect on you. Like 
who was to know that you was going to be brought together that day? But some people think, oh, do I have to get educated in this? Do I have to? No, just listen. Like you, you just might say the right thing at the right time. And even people with this campaign, they've tried to give their kind of their business look on it and going, oh, maybe don't post at this time or this time. I'm going, sorry. I'm like, yeah. I have had messages before going, I just happened to scroll through my feed and I just happened to see that. And that made me think about not doing something or that. So I was like, I will keep posting. <laughs> like, yeah. you don't know who it's, who it's there. If you don't want to follow it, don't follow it. But yeah. if it's continuing to help people and share stories, like an episode I did, the last episode, I'll send it to you because I've always wanted to do one and I'd love to do one. We'll have to do one in LA on body dysmorphia and self-image. Because my wife's best best friend, Jono, came on, openly gay guy, but from a Catholic family, so they never accepted it. So that was one thing he carried through. And then he went into the modeling industry and developed severe body dysmorphia, except the day after our wedding, he was best man, disappeared for over 10 years. We could not find an incredible story. We could not find him. We had a really close group of friends. Nobody could find him. We found him late last year. We, we had a dinner and then he opened up and spilled it all out. And he was like, I was going through severe body dysmorphia and my family stuff. And it wasn't you guys. I could have handled that better because I loved you all, but I had to go and find me. And that was like, I shared my story. And I was like, dude, if we'd have just opened up, we could have got through this together. Body dysmorphia. And we was, we was laughing now looking back at it and similar traits like what we did, the little things that we did, and we were both laughing and just going, but we never said anything. Oh, Glenn. It doesn't take a lot, does it? Really doesn't. No, it doesn't. And I love you making that point. It's interesting you say this because um, the roommate that I mentioned earlier, you know, when I look back now, I realized he and I were going through the same thing at the same point in time, and neither of us was opening up about it, you know? And it's yeah. just and, – and, and, and what's interesting is, like, the story that you shared and the story I shared – about the kid, you know, at the shopping center, like, you know, it wasn't, I wasn't trying to do anything other than just connect with these people. And mm -hmm. I was just wanting to really listen and learn from them. And it was that, that created a space for like grace to unfold and for this kid to have a transformative experience in that moment. I mean, so you're right. And it wasn't anything that I learned in school. It wasn't anything that I've been educated on. It was just me being there as a presence and taking an interest in these people. And part, to be honest with you, it was just selfish because I like enjoying people and I like enjoying my life. So I was just enjoying these people and this thing happens that happens to be transformative. And I think it's always like that. I think the greatest moments in my life, the people that affect me most and the moments and experiences that have affected me the most have always been like that. It's never been a big thing. It's not like I've been fireworks. It's just suddenly you're sitting there, you're having a conversation, someone's actually listening they're just yeah. being present. They might not even be saying a whole lot, but you look in their eyes and you feel their presence and their energy and suddenly you just want to open up or suddenly you decide to make you know, a different decision. But yes, yes. I, it's funny because being in, in, in your world that you're in now, as not, not in the wellness and happiness, but um, in the entertainment industry as well. And when I was over there, I got invited to a few events and I went to them and I just found it, it wasn't my world. Like I didn't find joy in it, but what I did find is cause I like talking to people. 
and I'd cipher up to the side of someone and start talking to them. And I was like, how do you do this? Like what? And then started asking them about the family and everyday things. <laughs> and yes. I think I've already mentioned this on one episode, but I, I'll say it to this day, I'll go, I then got the numbers. We caught up the following week and we <laughs> like, and what I got told was it was like, yeah, it wasn't like, who are you and what can you do for me? It, it was a genuine conversation because I have no inkling to be in that industry or any other industry as long as I'm, I'm happy and I'm healthy and I've got my family. But it's, it's a hard industry. And what I want to get through to people who look at this campaign or anything or like yourself and they see like partly it's your job and you have to put the things on red carpets at socials because it, it is a job and, and that's what you do. But I want people to really connect with anyone and go stop put in this disconnection between anyone who looks successful and yourself yeah. because we are one no matter what you might be successful running fitness clubs or construction companies yeah. you're a celebrity to the, the laborers or <laughs> do you know what I mean like yes. it, yes. it's so far detached I love you saying this so much because um like you I first of all never imagined I'd be in this. <laughs> like this wasn't a goal of mine I wasn't you know yeah. I was voted shy in my high school class, okay? And I was kind of comfortable being shy, like in quiet. And I prefer really just being at home and reading books. For the most part, that's the way I party. <laughs> I read books. <laughs> and uh, mostly about, you know, not killing yourself. That was the beginning. <laughs> and, um, <laughs> right? So in any case, but, you know, I f- happen to fall into this space and I love it because it lets us share this message, this positive message around, um, you know, imperfectly perfect and, you know, just the ways in which we can all live happier lives. And, in the process, I, like you, you know, you get invited to these events and you go and you feel like, oh man, this is like, just so not me. And I've never felt like it was me. And mm. I've discovered at some point in time, like maybe I just got exhausted and tired of trying to be something I wasn't. I'm like that guy, I'm smiling at the events, but I probably have a very disruptive presence because I'll talk to somebody for a minute, a small talk, and then I just go in. Like, because the only yeah. conversations I really have interest in having are ones like this. And so I'll just ask them. I'm like, man, so are you happy, bro? Like, you know, zero to 10, how happy are you? You know, just because that's what comes naturally to me. And, effortlessly and he takes me. them back. Like, who yeah, is this guy? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. this guy asking these questions? And then I just have to explain and say, look, um, you know, this is what I live for. And I know it's not everybody's flavor, um, but this is the way I operate, you know. And my experience like yours Glenn, has, been, has been that most people, more people than I ever imagined, want to have the conversation. They're ready to have the conversation. And they're just waiting to have the right opportunity or the right person who can have the conversation with them in a non-judgmental way. Yeah. Right? So you're just gold and you're such a precious gem, Glenn, because of who you are and what you do and the way you go about doing it. And I wouldn't change anything about you for the world, brother. I just completely and truly love who you are. Yeah, well, I truly appreciate that. I just think it's something that I've I've just always been brought up with and going, it has been to my detriment as well, where I take people at face value, like, and people do walk all over you. Like, it's human nature. And now I got taught along the way from from listening to stuff that you guys have said and, and, and podcasts and that. And it's just those people okay, they're just not meant to be on your journey with you. Like, yeah. just don't get frustrated. Don't get tied up. It's just, yes, they might have done that. They might have done this, but just just let them go because you're holding it onto yourself. So you're putting something added extra weight onto your shoulders that you don't need to. Let them do them. You do you. Um, oh, my gosh. That, that, the, the gas mask, the um, on the plane. Yeah. Like, do you. Yeah. But, wait, wait, yeah, wait, it's... 
Yeah, you just love it. No, I just love what you're saying there because, and you're right. Sometimes we, you know, we all, you know, we all meet people, and when you tend to err on the side of love because you just feel so doggone good to love, Mm. you know, you and I are both that way. Like we love loving people because it feels good for them, but we it also feels good to us, right? And so sometimes you do you find yourself to an easy target. People think or feel that you're an easy target, and so you do sometimes get the short end of the stick in lots of ways. Um, And yet, interestingly enough. I have to say that nobody on the planet has ever been more cruel or more mean to me than myself. I mean, yep. they may have done something to me once, but then I rehearse it and repeat it in my mind over and over and over again. You know, and that's what led me to suicidal ideation and depression. And so, you know, at the very least, we all want to be our best self-advocate. And uh, I think the great, beautiful way of saying that, like you said, is you just got to do you. That's amazing what you just said there. I love that. I'm going to use that. Yeah, please do. <laughs> sign that one. The, the only person that's been more mean yeah. than any, anything is myself. It's so true. Dude, like, I and mean, I'm learning yeah. things all the time, talking to people, and that's what you take from each other and why people should have more of these connecting conversations. Like you can take the littlest thing and it can have a profound effect. That there, I'll take that away with me because I'll be like, shit, that's so – it's true. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's, it's fascinating. It's cool. Yes, exactly. Not as much as yourself. Totally. I've gotten mad at people or I've had an upsetting experience with people and whatever it is they they did, they did once or maybe twice if I came back and I wanted, you know, it happened like once or twice. And then I would have repeated that experience in my head, remind myself of it and beat myself up for it or get mad at them, which is all the same experience of me basically heaping all this pain and suffering back on myself again. Dozens of times over the course of that day and the next day and the next day. It's like, okay, they did it to you once, Rob. Why do you do it to yourself again a hundred or a thousand times? As yeah. guilty as they may be, you know, you've got to take a little responsibility and say, I'm not going to repeat this story in my head. I'm not going to rehearse that painful experience again. I'm going to move on. It's, yeah. So I did this, um, I'll just move on quickly there. Um, I'll let you go soon because um, – Seriously, mate, I can talk to you all day. I know. That's why you're <laughs> lifelong friends. You do realize that, right? <laughs> <laughs> um, put, a, put an actual camera on me on the TV show. I could talk to you for like two minutes and then I'd be... <laughs> it's okay. Um, yeah, actually, I'll ask you that question. So if, if you went through... Sorry to divert again, but if you went through the, the self-image thing and didn't think like the way you looked or stuff like that, how did you, because I still have a problem with it, even though I'm no longer, I think people with self-image body dysmorphia do have a sense of carrying that trait with them. It's manageable and you know how to work that. But I still don't like looking at myself on camera a lot of the times. Yeah. How did you get past that? Was it just a stage of you kind of telling yourself, you know what, this is me? Yeah, it, number of things. So I love you saying that because um, I've never liked my voice. I've never liked the way I've looked. And I've, Mostly, generally, haven't liked anything about it. Like, really, I never did. And um, a number of things helped. One is, um, as I started doing this work more and more, and I started meeting people that were, like, in the public eye, mm-hmm. and most people would consider them, like, you know, the most incredible, extraordinary singer ever. And this singer, you know, few of them, didn't like listening to their own songs on the radio. Or they wouldn't listen. They'd say, turn that off. And I'm like, what? Turn it off? You know, it's you. I love this. And they're like, no, I can't. <laughs> to hear my own voice i'm like are you kidding because you could sing like eight octaves you know so yeah. and then or you meet the athlete and say i can't watch my games man i see everything that goes wrong and you suddenly realize oh my goodness like all everyone 
has this experience and people, and then almost in some ways, the more extraordinary, sometimes the more self-critical they can be, you know, yeah. so that's the one thing that helps a lot. The other thing is, um, you know, if you feel that way, I find that generally not watching yourself or not listening to yourself is very helpful because why beat yourself up, you know, mm. intentionally. Um, but the third, the third thing, um, that really helped too is putting it in perspective and realizing that, um, you know, most people really aren't paying attention to anything or anybody else but themselves. <laughs> like, yeah, so you, think, you know, you could be on Good Morning America, you could have your own TV show, and you think that they're mostly paying attention to you and they're seeing all these things, but mostly people are in their own heads and they're reflecting on all their own insecurities. Yeah. You know, so that actually has helped a lot. And like, you know, people aren't thinking about you nearly as much as you think they are. 99% of the time, they're really just thinking and consumed with themselves and their own insecurities, their own desires, their own fears. Um, so well, I discovered. You put a, I'll just jump in there quickly. It's like if um, if we took a group uh, a group photo, like we did that day from everyone on the show, like to all the people that are listening to this podcast, think about when you've taken and you've gone out and you've got a group photo with all your friends. Do you pay attention to any of those people? You go no. straight hone in on yourself and then go, I don't like that photo. And everyone else is like, it's a good photo. And you're like, yeah. I like it, delete it. <laughs> like, oh, totally. So, and, so and, and same thing with the filtering apps. You know, it's like, okay, I, I noticed that, you know, I was looking funny in that picture. I'm going to fix something here. Or I had something on my face. I'm going to remove it. And then you go into the picture. You don't touch anybody. Everybody else's face could be completely jacked up. You don't see any of that. You just see some tiny little, you know, piece of like, you know, donut that you had here or whatever. And so yep. it's, it's interesting, um, you know, the ways in which we get so narrow-minded and focused on ourselves, and then we yeah. blow that proportion, and we think that everybody else is also thinking about us as much as we're thinking about ourselves. But that's never the case. People are always much more interested in themselves than they are you, and that's a really good thing, actually, because it means you can let yourself off the hook. Yep. Yeah. This. Oh man. <laughs> it's so oh, true. Right? And lastly, oh. I'll just uh, I'll just say lastly. Um, cause it probably wasn't until years later and through this campaign, actually, when I, I opened up and I sent the article I wrote about uh, body dysmorphia to my mum, um, and she didn't know to what extent I'd gone through. And when I put it in front of her eyes and she read it and she said she bawled her eyes out cause she's in England and she was like, the thing as a parent or as a family member is that you never want to see your child suffer or your brother or your sister say, if you've got no children, so why wouldn't you have thought I'd have been interested if you'd have told me? I was like, I don't know. Yeah. So I, that's when you opened up, did you open up to your parents, your brothers or sisters or? Oh man. So <laughs> I opened up to my family really yeah. um, by publishing my book. <laughs> so I published the book. Right? Like, it wasn't Surprise. Yeah. <laughs> like the book. And then they were like, Oh wow. You, you know, Gone through. I didn't know you'd gone all through this. And you know, they were super sweet about it and super understanding about it because they know that I have tended to be a pretty quiet person anyway. Um, you know, but I would speak on the book and I was doing a book tour. And my dad would be there. My mom would be there. And that was always the hardest for me because I started to discover the ways in which um, part of me in the beginning was even almost feeling like they were responsible in some ways for how I felt. Uh, but that was never true. Like as hard as my dad was on me, I, it was exactly what I needed and I couldn't see that now until, you know, in the ways in which my mom self-sacrificed, you know, that was just perfectly what I needed at the time. So, you know, um, yes, I never really opened up 
to my family except through the book. Um, and it's not from a lack on their part. It really was a lack on my part. I just was so deeply uncomfortable with opening up to anyone. You know, I just, and I didn't, part of it was too, I didn't want them to feel disappointed. And little did I know that they would have never seen it that way. They would have never been disappointed that I was unhappy or that I was sad or anxious or whatever. They would have just wanted to help me and support me. Um, you know, but I was lost in my little bubble and I just didn't want to disappoint them. So, um, yeah, I love you sharing that when, you know, I, my mom, I remember her actually crying at an event one time. And I remember my dad walking out of the room and him being upset too. They were sad that I was, that I had gone through this experience where I was sad. Um, so I love you saying that it's, um, it's interesting. Most people, they want you to share what you're going through with them because they want to be of help. Yeah. Yeah. So I, last question. I did the, and I think you're aware of it, the community challenge where you've got to name three things you do and through your career, through your happiness coaching, everything, what are the three things that you've taken from and do still and implement them daily towards your mental well-being? Oh, love, love. (laughs) Um, Exercise. That's probably been the longest running practice I have. Um, So I lift weights and I exercise, I run. That is just a, Oh, it's a necessity. I just, that's a hot, if I can make that, Yep. You froze again. I'm a huge, um, voracious. Re- oh, can you hear yep, me? You're back. <laughs> yep. Yep. You're back. Yes. So exercise. Second thing is I read. That's just, and, um, by meditation, I mostly mean just enjoying my own presence without letting thoughts get in the way. In the beginning, I just started with my breath. I would just try to enjoy my breathing and my breath. And now I just try to enjoy space that matter the most in my life. Yeah. Can you just say that last one again? Just because it it, uh, it froze. Sorry. Yeah. And the third thing that I do is meditate. You know, meditation for me is just critical. It always sounds so serious but for me meditation just means like enjoying my own presence i just call that life or life force but it's mostly enjoying my breathing or enjoying the feeling of energy inside my body without letting any thoughts get in the way so when thoughts come i just let them go i come back to just spending time with that god within or life within or source within or energy within just for the joy of it um but those Three practices I have to do every single day, no matter what. And they're the three practices that the majority of people have been sending in worldwide and very much do the same, which I love because people are taking away and their commonalities between everyone worldwide. And that meditation one, I will say to anyone listening, going, because I was one of these people, I just haven't got the patience to sit there and try and be quiet with myself. And Mm. so these days, it's not for everybody, but I like to run myself a really hot bath and just lounge in it. Whereas a lot of people, even my wife, she's like, Oh, you're laying in your dirty dead skin. <laughs> and I'm like, I don't care. Well, am I? Um, and then I just try and at first I was going through YouTube videos, trying to pick it up. And then I'm going, oh, I just can't get thoughts out of my head. And then it, it finally, it's like training the body. You have to train your mind to those breathing. Cause sometimes I were trying too hard to breathe and I'm going, I feel like I'm out of breath because I'm like trying to 
concentrate on my breath. And so that's a work in its practice as well. It's itself. You, you nailed it. It is literally like exercise for peace. It's exercise for your brain. Yep. And I love you saying that in the beginning, I hated it. And I thought it was the worst thing ever. I mean, really, I'm like, why would I do this? And I discovered just through a little practicing, keep it easy. You don't need to meditate for 30 minutes. Do it for 30 seconds. Do it for just one breath. I mean, that's plenty. If you do it for one breath, as often as you can remember throughout the day, it's one of the most transformative practices you can ever uh, pick up and adopt. Um, so, yeah, I agree with you. It's been the most transformative thing I've ever discovered, mostly because it lets me dial in to a place of peace and calm and happiness while I let my thoughts go. So many of us think we have to think and figure everything out, but we don't. Underneath all those thoughts is perfect peace and perfect happiness, and meditation gives you a taste of that. Yep. We was brought into this world without anything. We'll go out with anything. So why do we have to complicate it during the middle? Yes. <laughs> like exactly. Our thoughts came in as a baby, eat, sleep, and poop. When yeah. you're old, the same kind of things. In the middle, it gets squiffed along the way. <laughs> and every, it does. It really does. But I will say to you, what is one affirmation that you say to yourself every single day? Oh, great question. Um, the one I love the most is I am one with God. And well, sometimes I'll say it differently. Like I'm one with source or I'm one with life, but it takes the pressure off because I think sometimes we think we have to figure everything out ourselves, or we think that we have to basically do everything ourselves and that our life is fully, totally our responsibility. But the truth is there's something that keeps the earth hanging on nothing. Like think about that. It's hanging yeah. in midair. We're all on that earth. It's spinning. It's rotating around this super hot star we call the sun. Okay. At the same time, it's beating our hearts. It's breathing our lungs. It's making our brain or helping our brain orchestrate it all. All of this is happening without your effort, without your conscious thought. And so when I can remind myself that I'm one with that same life force and life energy, that for me is a huge relief. I suddenly don't need to take care of or be responsible for my life, myself, that whatever brought me into this life or this put me on this planet will take that, and that will take me out of it. It's just as much responsible for my life as I am. I can suddenly relax and I can enjoy people's company and I can trust that even if I don't post at the right time every day, <laughs> I'm still going <laughs> to someone out there in a meaningful yeah. and impactful way. Um, so that's been one of the greatest ones for me. The other ones I've loved is like, I'm enough. It's been a great one. Um, I am happiness or I deserve happiness. Um, but I'd love the one just around I am one with source or I'm one with God because it kind of captures all of it. Whatever it is I'm seeking, I'm one with. Um, but at least you're setting your intention for the day. Like you're not getting up the first thing you do. You're not scrolling your social media feed that if you see something that you don't like, it's going to stick with you. Then you get pissed off in the day and then you carry that over with you. And it's just like set your intention for the morning. Even if it's as simple, I always say is, I am going to have an amazing day today. Something yeah. so simple, but I like yours. And that's why I always ask everyone, what's your favorite affirmation? Because you pick it up and you take it along. But um, I just want to thank you for your... Go on, sorry. Can I ask you what yours is? What's your favorite no, one? No. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Fine. <laughs> I, I've actually got a few. So I've got a gratitude journal and I, I do it daily and I write a bit. And I, I think I said it on the show that I get my son to do it in the bathroom mirror as well. Um, but I do, in, in terms of... Oh, 
I have to write mine down. It, it is, I'm going to have an incredible day, but I'm divinely guided with all my efforts. Um, oh, I've got a long I'll send you some. I'll send you some. Yeah, but I'm divinely some. guided because I think sometimes I was never spiritual, but this path has seemed to draw me towards people who are more spiritual and, and telling me how to tap into my intuition and work with people and not as a source of looking at, I think what's different about this campaign as well is that the more people that are coming forward like this, it's a holistic approach and you're talking about your problems rather than numbing them by medication. And I will always say and put it out there that there is a place for medication and that's no, no thing against professionals. But there's also on the other hand, if that medication wasn't to be there tomorrow, how are we equipping people to deal with those emotional struggles and problems? We need to come together almost like a task force of people instead of just going these pen pushers right at the top going, this is what they need because our pharmaceutical companies are making money off it. And these are these, and this is this, and this is this. Like, Glenn, if there's anybody on the planet who was, I can't imagine, I've never met anyone who's more convinced than I was, that I had a chemical imbalance and that the mm. only thing that would ever save me was medication, okay? Like yep. I was convinced of it and I didn't have access to it. I didn't have, um, you know, first of all, I was concerned about losing my job at the time. And second of all, I was just afraid that, you know, that it would somehow affect me or make me cause me to lose my job. So I never actually got access to medication. And let me tell you, when I look back now, it was the greatest gift and mm. blessing ever because it showed me and proved to me that I didn't need to rely solely or exclusively or only on medication, right? And yeah. so not in any way to say that folks um, shouldn't use medication if it's prescribed or any of those things, but you nailed it at the same time that you might need medication to help you get over that bridge, okay? At the same time, you should also ideally be just learning a few small, simple things that allow you to self-soothe, that allow you to drop your thoughts and just enjoy peace without having to think and figure things out all the time, that allow you to enjoy life without the medication. So I love you making that point because it's critical. Yeah. Well, my, my, this is why this podcast isn't going to finish soon. <laughs> I love that. Because it's my personal experience is I, when I was in Thailand away from everything, I got prescribed to go on antidepressants because they thought it was kind of something that will suppress the feelings in it. And this is why I say this is my personal experience and I took myself off them, which I don't know if that was a good thing, but I was like, there's no way in hell I'm going to be reliant on these yeah, because yeah. I don't know if it is helping because I was still feeling the thoughts of body dysmorphia whilst I was on them. I think it suppressed it a little bit and I could get through the day a bit easier, which again, I'm no professional, so I wouldn't know like the main full effects of it. But my personal experience I'll keep coming back to is the day that I decided like, oh, I'll just go a day without one, a, a day without two, just so I'm not self-reliant. But I know on the other side, how I say that's my personal experience because I, I wouldn't recommend that to everyone without getting the the doctor's approval or anything like that. And bearing in mind, I did then go and see the doctor and say, I did take myself off. But because mine was a body dysmorphia thing and I learned cognitive behavioral therapy worked better for me and I'm quite a disciplined guy. So I, I started learning a lot of that. So I, I was on that medication for a little while, but I also, like you said there, implemented the holistic side and started learning about it. So I wasn't reliant on them. So that, that's what I would say from my point of view, look at both routes. Yes. 
Yes, that's uh, love that. You want to take a comprehensive approach, a holistic approach, and I definitely love um, cognitive behavioral therapy. Mindfulness-based uh, cognitive behavioral therapy is one of the greatest, um, I think, um, you know, forms of therapy available. Um, and there, but there are so many, right? So I just love what you said there, and I think that's really sound guidance. Well, mate. Now we've been going on for ages. <laughs> I, I, I will let, I know you are a busy guy. So first of all, I truly, truly am honored that you even came on the campaign that we connected. I feel like I've known you for a long time, just connecting maybe on that spiritual level. Um, I think what you do is incredible for people. Um, and you make a huge difference. Can you tell us where we can find out more details about you, your books and on your socials? Yeah. So you can find happiness from the inside out. Everywhere great books are sold, including Amazon and Barnes and Noble. You can find me at my website at coachrobmack.com. And you can also find me on all social media platforms, especially Instagram, because that's the only place I really focus on, um, <laughs> at, at Rob Mack official. So R-O-B-M-A-C-K official. Glenn, I cannot tell you, my friend, how much I appreciate you and what you're doing. Like I am infinitely inspired and ceaselessly inspired and grateful for having met you. And I'm just really loving, you know, everything that you're about. I want to continue. Obviously you and I um, are lifelong friends at this point, but please know that you sharing your divine light and your love and your wisdom has been transformative for me and so many people um, that you are also featured on the campaign, but also folks that you have no idea that have been affected by, right? So that have been affected by you. So just thank you so much for being a part of my life, man. And get back to LA too, because I want to hang out. <laughs> I'm working on it. I'm working on it. I love that place. And I just love being around like people like yourself who are just, yeah, you just find a pace of happiness and it's working with people like you guys. And I, I will say it on this podcast and I'll announce it that in July, we are looking to come over and do a launch of the Imperfectly Perfect and get people like yourself involved and, and make it a night of visuals and music and just pure happiness. Something Dude, I, that, I that the world has not seen before. Dude, I love that. I'm RSVPing right now. <laughs> so you're there, mate. You know. You're there. <laughs> you're there. Well, I, I will let you go. Go on, sorry. No, I was just going to say, let me know how I can continue to support that and contribute to that because I just love that and I love what you do. Appreciate it, mate. Well, I will let you go then. Um, Guys, for anybody that's listening to this, you can now subscribe and find us on iHeartRadio, Spotify, or iTunes. I will put all the links up on all the social media platforms, and I'll also put up all Rob Max links as well for you. Go check him out, guys. He does incredible stuff over in the US, and I'm going to get him over to um, Sydney, Australia to do some stuff here as well, guys. So we will bring him over and get him into your businesses in your schools because this guy changes lives. All right, mate. Have brother, a good day. Thank you, YouTube brother. Appreciate you, buddy.